What's up, boxing fans? Welcome to the Neutral Corner, episode number 132. I am Michael Montero for BoxingMonthly.com and Boxing Monthly Magazine. And by the time you're listening to this, I am probably on a plane flying across the country to Los Angeles. I will be out there early Monday morning getting ready for fight week for Mikey Garcia and Robert Easter. I'll be there at Staples Center. So any of you guys who are going to be at that card, get at me. Let's have a beer. Let's talk some boxing. Real quick, before we jump into some news and notes, I wanted to give a quick shout out and a thank you to a couple of new patron supporters, Patreon supporters, Chase G and Devin and Anbu increased his pledge. Thank you to all three of you guys and to everybody who supports us on Patreon. And guys, before I get into news and notes, want to talk about my fee for TNC. Last week I talked about this and I told you guys I'm going to be talking about it every week. The fee is non-monetary. I'm not asking you guys for money. Those of you who can pledge and want to on patreon.com slash Montero Unboxing, please do so. Those of you who are interested in the MOB shirt, please email me at MonteroOnboxing at gmail.com. But for the rest of you, who don't have that money laying around, who can't contribute financially. I know how that feels. I grew up broke. I get it. But for free, I'm asking you guys, this, I'm providing you this content for free, okay? My fee is that you share this content, whether you share this episode of The Neutral Corner, whether you share my YouTube channel, my Twitter profile, my Facebook page, the Montero Unboxing Facebook page, a video, a favorite video that you liked. It could be from six months ago. It could be from two years ago. Whatever it is, guys, I ask that you share this channel. You tell your boxing friends about it. You post it on your social media every week. Something. You share a piece of MOB and what we're doing here, this content that we're providing. You get it out there in the world on social media. That is my fee for this podcast. All right? Now let's get into some news and notes. Okay, so not a whole lot to get into, but World Boxing Super Series Season 2, the semifinals are set for both uh, the 140-pound tournament and the 118-pound tournament. And to date, as, as of the time I'm recording this, we still don't know what the third weight division is, but apparently there will indeed be a third division, a third tournament in season two. But for 140 pounds, Reggie's Pro Gray picks Terry Flanagan. I think he had, it was between Flanagan and Ryan Martin for him to pick, and he picked, he made the right choice. I think that Terry Flanagan is a good style matchup for him. Flanagan will be the best opponent Pro Gray has ever f- faced. I think he's going to go rounds. I, I see that going the distance, but I think that Pro Gray, and he may very well have to go on the road for that fight. Who knows? Maybe Lou DiBella can work something out where they can get that fight in New Orleans, but I think that might be going overseas. It's going to be great learning experience for Pro Gray, but I like him by decision in that fight. Josh Taylor fighting Ryan Martin. Now that is a very interesting matchup. Ryan Blue Chip Martin, you know, 360 promotions, Tom Loeffler guy, been training with Abel Sanchez up in Big Bear with the Gennady Golovkin crew. Since he's been doing that, he's looked improved. He's cut some weight. He's made some updates and some changes in his style. He's looked improved. He's going up against a killer in Josh Taylor, though, and no doubt that's going over to the UK 
and I don't think Martin has fought on the road yet. But maybe there's something in Martin we haven't seen yet. Maybe there's an extra dimension. I don't know. I like that matchup a lot. Of the 140-pound tournament, the semis, that is my favorite fight in the semis. Kirill Reddick and Ivan Baranchek, I think they're set up to win their two fights. They will advance. I think it's going to be Prograde, Taylor, Relic, and Baranchek in the, uh, I guess that would be the semifinals. I'm sorry, I've been calling these the semifinals, the, the quarterfinals. Apologies, guys. Bantamweight quarterfinals. Ryan Burnett versus Nonito Donaire. That is a great matchup. That is a young guy. Uh, everything ahead of him against an old veteran who has seen it all. Been to the mountaintop and been crushed and knocked down off that mountaintop and climbed halfway back up it. That's a great fight. That is classic young man versus old man matchup. I love it. Nayoya Inoue versus Juan Carlos Payano. I think that's a good matchup. Remember Inoue moving up in weight. I think Payano is going to be competitive. Emmanuel Rodriguez and of course Zolani Titi. I think that they're going to both win their fight. So, uh, man, Burnett, he should be Donaire. That's going to the UK. Inoue should beat Payano. And then Rodriguez and Titi will advance. Those four will go to the semifinals in the bantamweight tournament. Also, one other quick note. Not a, again, not a whole lot of news and notes, guys. And, and this is going to be a truncated episode because I'm getting packed and I'm getting ready to hop on a plane to Los Angeles. But I just want to talk about this because I saw this in the news. Boxing could still possibly get axed from the 2020 Olympic Games in Tokyo, Japan. The International Olympic Committee, which is the most corrupt sports organization on earth, they are concerned about the governance and management of the International Boxing Federation, AIBA. When the IOC is calling you out uh, and they're concerned about your governance and management and, and finances and things like that, you know you got problems because the IOC, you do not get much more corrupt. FIFA is right up there with the IOC. Those are the two most corrupt sports organizations on planet Earth. And AIBA is right up in that ballpark as well. So, man, if boxing got cut from the 2020 games, that would be devastating. It really, truly would be devastating. My gut feel is that they're going to get this worked out. They're going to get boxing back in the games. Japan has a healthy boxing scene. No doubt there are Japanese fighters who want to be in the, the Olympics in 2020 in their home country and represent their country in front of their, their countrymen. So I do think it'll get saved. But the fact that it's this close, I mean, we're in 2018. We're less than two years away from the Olympics, and they're talking about still axing boxing, one of the classic sports that has always been a part of the Olympics. Man, that's nuts. AIBA needs to get their shit together. Seriously. If the IOC is calling you out, that's pretty bad, homie. All right, that's it with news and notes, guys. Let's get into the review of what happened last week. Friday, July 20th from Cancun, Mexico. It was another Golden Boy Promotions card on ESPN. And in the main event, Lamont Roach wins by sixth round retirement stoppage over Devi Julio Bassa. He knocked him down in the third round, and he Bassa did not come out for the seventh round. So Roach improves to 17-0 with one draw, seven knockouts, 
a super featherweight fighter out of DC stays perfect. Well, almost perfect. He has that draw on his resume, but 17-0 undefeated marches forward. Also Friday, there was a Thompson boxing card from Doubletree Hotel in Ontario. And the Texas native Michael Dutchover improves to 10-0 with seven knockouts, a KO2 win. Dutchover is only 20 years old. He's a super featherweight himself. Same division as Lamont Roach. And 10-0 uh, with seven knockouts looks really, really good. An exciting, fun prospect. In Sloan, Iowa, it was a showbox card. And in the main event, Philadelphia welterweight prospect Jerron Enos Improves to 21-0, 19 knockouts, a TKO3 win over Armando Alvarez, who he dropped four times in the third round before getting him out of there. So that was all the Friday action here in the North America. I was going to say America, but of course, Cancun, North America. Saturday, July 21st, we had some action over in Russia and in the United States. Let's start in Moscow, where it was the World Boxing Super Series Cruiserweight Finale. The first tournament finale in the World Boxing Super Series, which if you guys saw my immediate reaction slash rant video on Oleksandr Usyk that I posted right after that fight, I talked about the fact that there is a deal in place with the zone. I've talked about this on the neutral corner a couple times. This tournament's gonna to be around for a few years at least. And who knows, guys, 10 years down the road, this tournament might still be going. With all the international fighters who are willing to get into this tournament, and now this year in season two, we have some Americans willing to go into the tournament. This thing might be around for a while. And this was the first finale. So it was historic in that sense. And this was the most loaded tournament I've ever seen. Any tournament, you go back to Showtime, they had that super middleweight tournament that Andre Ward won. That wasn't as loaded as this cruiserweight tournament was. This was an absolutely stacked tournament that unified all four titles. And in the finale, Oleksandr Usyk completely dominates and shuts out Murat Gassiev. He's now 15-0 with 11 knockouts. This guy has not even been a pro for five years yet. He has completely cleaned out his division. He has already won a tournament an internationally renowned tournament. And he is the Ring Magazine champ and all the sanctioning organizations. He has those belts. I Just to do that within 15 fights in less than five years as a pro, that's historic, man. I've been telling you guys for weeks, for months, this is the biggest fight in the history of the cruiserweight division. Apparently there were 24,000 fans in attendance there in Moscow. Just with everything on the line uh, for Usyk to perform the way he did, and I get it, Styles make fights, 2020 hindsight. We should have seen how one-sided this was going to be. You guys who listened last week, you know I predicted that eight rounds to four, 116-112 decision for Usyk. It ends up being 120-108 on my card. A couple of judges gave uh, Gassiev a round, but that's the most you could give him. I think it was maybe the second round was kind of close. But for Usyk to, to perform the way he did was masterful, and it was absolutely pound for pound. And you guys know I'm on the committee for the Ring Ratings, uh, ratings Committee for Ring Magazine and for Boxing Monthly Magazine. But we've been going back and forth, uh, me and the crew at Ring Magazine, uh, Sunday, all day Sunday, just talking about where Usyk is pound for pound. And, and as far as I'm concerned, he's number four right now. A few of the writers, you know, guys like Mike Coppinger and stuff, they want to put Mikey Garcia above Usyk. I think Usyk's above Garcia right now. I, I, and 
I mean, you could make a case that he's higher than Golovkin. You really could. You could make a case that he is number three behind Lomachenko and Crawford. I, I put Golovkin number three because he's just been fighting longer. He's, he's got the more established professional record. And he's clearly been the number one middleweight now for a few years. So I, I still put him at number three. But you could make a legitimate case. Like, I wouldn't call you crazy if you said Usyk is number three pound for pound right now. Either way, definitely in the top five. So let's see what happens uh, with the, the executives, if you will, at Ring Magazine where they want to put him. But there were a few people wanting to put him as low as six. And I'm like, how the hell could you put him number six behind guys like Garcia and even Inouye? He, he's more accomplished than Inouye. You got to put him up there at number four or even higher, in my opinion, with this accomplishment. So I'm not going to go into the fight, the, the breakdown of the fight too much because, again, I posted an immediate reaction video. But, guys, this was just boxing 101, using your jab, using lateral movement, using footwork. People who think boxing is all about brute power and hands, they don't understand. Boxing is 90% footwork, angles, spacing, timing, distance. And Usyk mastered all those things. And he had Gassiev completely bewildered, confused, and honestly shell-shocked. The guy just didn't know what hit him. He, he clearly understood he was in there with, with a much better fighter, a guy in a completely different stratosphere. And as I said in my rant video, Gassiev deserves credit for sticking in there in fighting long after most fighters would have found a way out of that fight. They would have quit because they were being embarrassed so bad, particularly being embarrassed in front of their countrymen in their homeland. And for Gassiev to see it through to the final round and give Usyk all the credit, just a classy, classy dude. 24 years old, Gassiev can still improve and get better. But that footwork, that lack of head movement, and honestly, the lack of activity, he just doesn't punch enough. When you're fighting guys that you can punch through, which is just about everybody else in the division, he's going to be okay. But an elite pound-for-pound -pound type of talent like Usyk, and if Gassiev were to move up to heavyweight, the two top heavyweights, Joshua and Wilder, just because of their athleticism and power and size, would just give Gassiev fits. He wouldn't stand a chance. But against just about everybody else at cruiserweight and possibly even heavyweight, Gassiev is competitive and would probably be favored against most of them. So for Usyk to dominate the way he did was pretty damn impressive. Also on this card... Uh, pretty stacked card with underwhelming action, honestly. Uh, Fedor Chudinov scores a split decision over Najib Mohamedi. These guys fought 168 pounds, 12 rounds. Controversial decision. A lot of people felt Chudinov was getting some home cooking. They thought Mohamedi should have got the decision. But uh, I've heard several people say they felt Chudinov should have won. So, you know, close fight, could have went either way. But a lot of people felt Mohamedi should have got the nod. Marius Bredis scores a unanimous decision over 10 rounds against a journeyman fighter. It really looked like he took this dude lightly. He looked sloppy. Just didn't look very good. Not the same guy we saw against Usyk earlier this year. But look, fighting down, clearly what I saw was a guy fighting down to the level of his opposition. I don't think Bredis is shit. In fact, my suggestion on the ring ratings committee, back and forth, the conversations we were having today, and a lot of people agreed with me, British should be the number two cruiserweight and Gassiev should be number three right now. When you look at how competitive British was with Usyk 
and how much Gassiev struggled. I think Bredis is the second best cruiserweight in the world. And if you go based off of his performance Saturday, you'd think I'm crazy. But I'm saying don't go just off that performance. That was one night, and he clearly took his dude lightly and didn't look very good. Overall body of work, though. I think he's the second best cruiserweight in the world. Cecilia Brekus defends her welterweight titles. Denis Shafikov gets a win in a 10-rounder. Konstantin Pomeranov, or Ponomarov, sorry. Konstantin Ponomarov. Upset loss to a fighter who came in with only six fights, Sergei Vorobiev, who is now 7-0 with six knockouts. Ponomarov has had opportunities to fight for titles. He's had opportunities to fight for them in Mexico, in America, and he has consistently turned down fight opportunities. And he gets lined up on the very, very bottom of a stacked undercard and loses like this to a dude with six fights coming in. Talk about mismanaging your career and not getting it. I talked to Panomarov's uh, management a couple times over the last year or so. Like, what is up with this kid? He, he looks good. What's going on? And they're like, this guy thinks he has it all figured out. I'm not going to tell you guys exactly who I talked to, but you could probably do the math. But they told me, this guy thinks he has it all figured out. This guy thinks that he knows what he's doing. He knows best. And we've offered him this fight, that fight, this fight, that fight. He turns it down. In fact, as far as I understand it, Constantine was like training people in boxing and stuff back home. He was like being a personal trainer and doing stuff like that for a while. And now he gets beat you know, by, by a guy, again, who came in with six fights. And where does it go from here? I don't know. But completely mismanaged his career, man. All right. Over here in the United States at the Hard Rock Casino, Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, Jaime Munguia improves to 30-0 with 25 knockouts with his first legitimate win over a legitimate ranked top 10, barely top 10 junior middleweight, Liam Smith. Wins a unanimous decision over 12 rounds. He dropped him in the sixth. Had some scary moments early on where Smith actually was getting some good work in. And you saw the experience there. This was the first defense of Munguia's WBO junior middleweight title. This kid's only 21. He's turning 22 in October. I told you guys last week, and I remember even talking about this a few months back when he beat Saddam Ali. Everyone needs to calm down. There is major, major flaws in this kid's game. Liam Smith is a tough SOB. He's a strong, sturdy junior middleweight, but it's, he's not a huge junior middleweight. I mean, Mungia was the bigger guy. Jarrett Hurd's bigger. Jermel Charlo is bigger. Even Irislandi Lara, I think, is bigger and, and especially way more athletic than Liam Smith. So it's not as if Liam Smith is this huge, hulking junior midway. He's just a tough guy who knows how to fight. Maybe he's the 10th best junior middleweight in the world. He's right there on the cusp of the top 10. He's gone 21 hard rounds with Canelo and Munguia. But for Munguia to struggle the way he did in the beginning, and then, you know, you could see him learning on the job a little bit and closing strong down the stretch. I think this was a really, really good learning lesson for him. I think that he will improve from this fight. That is why you put a guy like this in there with an, a veteran, who can box a little bit, who can go rounds, but can't necessarily punch real hard and isn't the most skilled or athletic guy. 
Mungia is nowhere near ready for Jarrett Hurd. Even Irislandi Lara, I think, beats him at this point. It would be close, but I, I think he, I think Lara beats him. Hurd dominates him, and Charlo probably knocks him out. That's what I see right now. Now, two, three years down the road, might be a different story. Two, three years down the, down the road, though, this kid's a middleweight. He's not going to be at junior middleweight. He has a title because that's the politics of boxing. And he, I mean, Saddam Ali beat, got a title off an ancient Miguel Cotto who got it off what? I think he won a vacant title off, um, man, I can't remember. Uh, it might have been a Japanese fighter that he fought uh, at Staples Center where he got that vacant title. I can't remember for sure. But either way, that's a perverted paper-thin title, right? The, the paper I'm holding up my notes with. That's how thin that title is. So Mugia has a title technically, but he's still a prospect, guys. That that's you know you could call him a contender with this win over over uh, Smith. He's a contender now, but he's not an, an elite fighter yet. He's just not there. He's a pup. Give him time to develop and give him time to grow into the middleweight division because that is where he's going to settle as a prime fighter. Also on this card. A 130-pound southpaw prospect from Puerto Rico, Alberto Machado, improves to 20 and over 16 knockouts. And a middleweight southpaw prospect from Brazil, Yamaguchi Falcao, improves to 16 and over 7 knockouts. Both of these guys win by decision. So that was it with last week, guys. Real quick, I wanted to uh, go over just some quick punch numbers from the Usyk Garcia fight. I know that this is, you know, not worth going into in crazy detail, but just to give you an idea of the clinic Usyk put on, according to CompuBox, Usyk landed 99 out of 519 jabs, only 19% accuracy, but Gassiev landed nine jabs. He threw 74. That's six jabs thrown per round, not even one landed per round. That tells you how befuddled and confused he was. For one fighter to land 99 jabs and throw 519, the other fighter lands 9 and only throws 74. That's crazy. That's just nuts. Usyk landed 153 power punches. Gassiev landed only 82. 32 of them were to the body, which was the right thing for Gassiev to do, but he needed to throw twice as many body punches and he needed to throw way more jabs to have any chance in that fight so boxing 101 guys if you don't have a jab and you're going up against an elite world-class athlete like Alexander Usyk who is really really I mean you look at the footwork he has the best footwork of any guy north of 175 might even have the best footwork of anyone north of 160 to be honest right now in boxing you don't have a jab to where you can stalk that guy. I mean, there's different kinds of pressure. Gassiev's pressure is that stalking kind of pressure, right? Usyk's pressure is volume. The jabs were peppering. They weren't hurting Gassiev, but that was mentally, mentally pressuring and wearing Gassiev down. Different kind of pressure, but really, really effective. All right, guys, that's it. Uh, let's preview what's coming up this week. Friday, July 27th, over in China on CCTV5, Sho Kimura, the second defense of his WBO flyweight title, and Chaozong Xiong, 
the first defense of his WBO minimum weight title, or I'm sorry, WBA minimum weight title. That will be on Friday over there in China. From Mexico City, there is a Telemundo card. And here in the United States from Laredo, Texas, there is a BN Sports card being put on by Roy Jones Promotions. Saturday, July 28th, over in London in the O2 Arena, it is a matchroom skybox office card. Dillian White versus Joseph Parker for White's WBC Silver Heavyweight title. I love this matchup. I love this. White did not need to take this fight. Parker did not need to take this fight. You know, you look at Parker coming off that loss to Anthony Joshua in March, his first professional loss. A lot of guys coming off a loss like that, number one, they wouldn't fight for six, seven, eight months. They changed trainers or some shit. This dude is right back in the ring four months later against White, who I consider to be a top 10 heavyweight. So props to Parker. And then if you're White, you got the WBC silver title. That means at some point, you're gonna be in line to fight Deontay Wilder. He's not sitting on his ass waiting for that fight. He's going in against Joseph Parker, who is a proven top 10 heavyweight himself, a former world titleist. So I love this. We could use a hell of a lot more of this in the heavyweight division. Hello, Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua, you hear me? We could use a lot more of this shit. Why does 6'4", 78 inch reach, his best weight is in the 240s range. Sometimes he's way heavier than that. But he needs to be in the 240s in this fight if he's going to look good. It seems in recent time he's been really dedicating himself to training and really, really working on his craft and trying to conduct himself as a professional athlete as it pertains to staying in shape and all that good stuff. Seven straight wins since his TKO7 loss to Anthony Joshua in 2015. Now for Parker, he's 6'4 as well, 76 inch reach. So he's probably slightly smaller, just a smaller guy. Best weight in the 230s. We've seen him be heavier. Both of these guys can be a little soft, especially White. But White is the naturally bigger guy. I don't necessarily know if, you know what? He does hit harder. I'm just thinking about it in my head. He does hit harder. And I think both of these guys have good proven chins, but I think Parker is the more defensively responsible fighter. And he just might be a little craftier than White. White, however, has fought some good opposition and has just more experience as a pro uh, fighting on a world-class stage. And this is in his backyard. So this is his fight to lose, in my opinion. But if you're Parker and you really, really wanna prove that this loss to Joshua, where he went all 12, and, that, and you know most people don't do that with Joshua, to go rounds, to, to show some, uh, some wrinkles in his game defensively that a lot of people didn't really realize he had. If you wanna come in there against White and make a statement, you come in there and you go for the kill. And you try to put some leather on him early, you try to make a statement, you try to let him know that he is not the boss that you are the boss. Because if he doesn't do that, and White establishes himself and his rhythm, he's gonna win this fight by decision. I think this has the potential to be a very, very good, fun, heavyweight matchup. People talked about Parker kind of stinking it out a little bit against Joshua. You guys gotta remember, he was punching up at AJ, 
and AJ was punching down at him. And just the way when you got a tall guy and a shorter guy fighting, sometimes it can get ugly. These two guys are looking eye to eye. They're looking right at each other. They're going to be punching straight at each other. There's nowhere to hide. You can't crouch down because same height. So all that considered, I think we're going to have a good, fun heavyweight scrap here. I think this is going to be fun, man. I'm going to be in L.A. I'm going to be heading over to Staples Center. Actually, I'm staying right across the street. So I'll probably be in the media center, plugging in my laptop, finding a stream of this that I can watch. I recommend you guys check it out as well. Also on the undercard of this, Derek Chisora fighting Carlos Takam. Interesting fight, man. I, I have to favor Carlos Takam. Both of these guys have lost two out of their last four. I think Takam has a little bit more craft and is just there's just a little more to him, just more levels. Chisora's half crazy. You just he's got a little Tyson Fury in him. Just he's just a little little nuts. And you never quite know what to expect with him. But I'd lean towards Takam by decision. But that has the potential to blow up and be a really, really fun heavyweight scrap as well. Also on this card, Katie Taylor defending her IBF and WBA lightweight titles. Then we come over here to Staples Center, to the United States, to Los Angeles. My former town. Now I'm living out of Atlanta. Going to be going back there to visit. This is going to be PBC on Showtime. And in the main event, Mikey Garcia fighting Robert Easter, unifying their IBF and WBC lightweight titles. I like this matchup. Like it a lot. Garcia, five foot six, 68 inch reach, turning 31 years old in December. He's won titles at four different divisions, mostly against weak opposition, though. Has never really fought an elite pound for pound type of fighter. But. I think he has faced better, more experienced, craftier boxers than Robert Easter. He's 38-0 with 30 knockouts. Last fought in March with that unanimous decision over Sergey Lipinets. Now Easter, much taller, much bigger guy. 5'11", 76-inch reach. A little younger, 27 years old. This will be the fourth defense of his IBF lightweight title. He's 21-0 with 14 knockouts. Last fought in January with a split decision over Javier Fortuna. He's had a couple fights where he barely eked it out, where he's looked very, very shaky. There just doesn't seem to be that extra dimension to him. There doesn't seem to be that, uh, I don't know, man, that championship quality, you know, that champion quality that Garcia absolutely has. You can see it in him. So all things considered, even though Garcia is going to be punching up at him, this is very, very much a mirror image of when Vasily Lomachenko fought Jorge Linares. Now, in a pound-for-pound pound sense, Jorge Linares is better than Robert Easter. More proven, just a better fighter. I would favor Jorge Linares to beat Robert Easter. However, just in terms of the, si in terms of the size matchup and things like that, it's very, very similar to that fight. And everyone's going to be looking at Garcia to see what he does against Easter. My money is on Garcia by decision. And he's going to unify these titles. But I don't see him putting in a performance that is as, as spectacular as what Lomachenko did against Jorge Linares. I hope I'm proven wrong because I'm going to be ringside. So we'll see. And in the co-main on this card, Luis Ortiz and Razvan Kodrinu 
fighting in a heavyweight 10-rounder. Ortiz, the Cuban guy, coming off that TKO 10 loss to Deontay Wilder back in March. He's about 76 years old, 6'4", southpaw, really poor health. Remember, before that fight with Deontay Wilder in March, where he had some really good moments, almost had Wilder out of there, but New York State Athletic Commission, they did, they did not approve him to fight until the morning of the fight. They actually flew Charles Martin in Friday night to have on standby because they didn't know if he would pass the medical test to be able to fight. That's how poor his health is. So it's been, what, four months since that loss to Wilder. What's he been doing in the meantime? Has he cut weight? Is his blood pressure down? Is it worse? Is he heavier? We'll find out. Now, Kojinu is actually the bigger guy, six foot seven, born in Romania, but lives and fights out of Burbank, California. It's a suburb of LA. He's coming off a unanimous decision loss to Joseph Parker last May. So he hasn't fought in over a year. Now, he went the distance with Parker, but he has been KO'd before. Remember the Boxino tournament on ESPN a few years back? They had a heavyweight tournament. I think they had two divisions. I don't know if the other one was middleweight. I can't remember off the top of my head. But anyway, in the heavyweight tournament, Kojuna was badly KO'd in one of those fights. I think it was the semis or something. So he has been stopped before. And on paper, you would think Ortiz stops him. But don't be surprised if this goes all 10 rounds if Ortiz hasn't been taking care of his health. We'll find out. And so this is a, a triple header on Showtime, right? The opening fight is a 140-pound, 10-round fight between Mario Barrios of San Antonio and Jose Roman, who's from the Southern California area, the greater Los Angeles area. Barrios is 5'10", 23 years old, 21-0 with 13 knockouts. As I mentioned, from San Antonio, Texas, you guys know what I've been saying about Texas, breeding good fighters. There's a growing scene there. Roman from SoCal, he's fought on a lot of the Thompson boxing cards there at the Doubletree Hotel in Ontario. So he's got good experience, probably Barrios' most experienced opponent to date. That should be an interesting opener. Also on Saturday, from Kissimmee Civic Center in Kissimmee, Florida, it's a top rank on ESPN card. One of the weaker cards they've had so far. In the main event, Christopher Diaz, a Puerto Rican prospect, going up against a Japanese fighter, Masayoki Ito, for the vacant WBO super featherweight title. Diaz is 23-0, 15 knockouts, turns 24 in October, as I mentioned before, from Puerto Rico. And Ito, a Japanese fighter, first fight outside of Japan. You don't know what you're going to get with these Japanese fighters. Sometimes these guys who have never fought outside of Japan, they show up, they lay an egg, they just look like, you know, what you'd expect, an opponent. Sometimes these guys come out of Japan and they're badasses. So that could end up being a really, really good, fun, entertaining main event on that ESPN card. And that should be a little preview, a little warm-up to get you into the Showtime card, right? Also on Saturday, there is a, a card from Evander Holyfield's promotional company in Louisville, Kentucky. I talked about Evander Holyfield before. I think he was actually born in Alabama, but grew up in Atlanta, fights out of Atlanta. I know he's lived here forever. I don't know if he still has a home here or not, but I can't understand for the life of me why they do cards in Kentucky. And I think they've done several cards in Kentucky by now. They do a lot of cards in New York. That makes sense. They're actually headquartered in New York. 
but they haven't once done a fight card in Atlanta. I just don't get it. Maybe I'm biased. Maybe it's because I live here now. But wouldn't it be nice for the folks at Holyfield Promotions, or Real Deal Promotions, I should say, to put on a fight card in Atlanta? Certainly more of a bigger market here than Louisville, Kentucky. But anyway, for you guys in Kentucky, check that out and have fun. That's it for this week, guys. So I'm going to be in L.A. And I'm pretty much going to be there all week, man. Uh, you know, flying coast to coast Monday. We'll get there Monday night. And uh, get at me. If you guys are going to be at the fights Saturday night, let me know. Comment here in the comment section. And uh, we'll see if we can find each other at the fights. You can come say hi. We'll talk a little boxing. We'll have a beer. It'll be a good time. All right? I'll see you at the fights.